The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Hey everybody, good morning. Welcome to Coastal, I'm Pastor Chris. And uh, we're in week three of the series called Brave on the life uh, and story of Daniel. Today, uh, we're going to look at one of the most popular Bible stories of all time. Might be one of your favorite, uh, especially if you grew up in Sunday school. You know, kind of back in the day, and they had those little uh, flannel, flannel graph board things. And, and if you grew up in that type of Sunday school environment, you, you would have definitely seen this story. Daniel and the lion's den. Now, of course, you probably also remember, you know, Noah's Ark and Moses and the Ten Commandments and David and Goliath and the little boy, you know, feeding everyone with the loaves and the fish. And then, of course, there was the the empty tomb and the resurrection. But there most certainly would have been this story, Daniel and the lion's den. Uh, In fact, I would say one of the challenges typically of telling this story or talking about this story is that a lot of times we, because we so relate to it um, as children, we kind of tell it in an almost childlike version. And, you know, Daniel is this, uh, this handsome young man. And, and then there's these little cute little lions that almost look like kitty cats and little kittens. And, and they kind of cuddle up to them. And he kind of, you know, just uses them like a, like a giant futon or something, you know, in, in this little quaint uh, den. Um, first of all, uh, the reality is the story is probably nothing like that whatsoever. Okay. Um, Daniel, at this point in the story, you remember uh, chapter one when we started with Daniel, uh, he was like, you know, a a freshman, sophomore uh, in high school probably. Last week he's in his 40s. This week uh, he's somewhere probably in his 80s, okay? So he's been walking with God for a long time. He's been very faithful. And lions don't look like kittens, okay? They just don't. In fact, what's the title of today's sermon? Right there on your outline, what's today's title? No, no, no. Tigers are different than lions. Kittens. See, you're all mixed up. That's not... I was wondering if anybody was ever going to make that connection. But um, anyway, Julie Kelly came up with the title of the message. I I don't know. She she did it. It's not not me. Anyway, um, but in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel has been serving... uh, Actually, he's serving now under a different king. Okay, up until now, we've been talking about evil King who? Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebi. And uh, uh, now he's under King Darius, which is like the third king that he served under. Now, what's interesting about King Darius, history records him kind of like a, an administrative genius, if you will. Um, in fact, as soon as he starts ruling the kingdom, he comes in, he kind of reorganizes everything, and he sets up these 120 uh, satraps. And, and the word satrap means kingdom protector. And then he puts administrators over those 120, three, three administrators. And Daniel happens to be one of them. Now their job would be to uh, protect against rebellion, levy taxes, kind of guard the financial affairs of the nation. Basically, they were there to protect and to balance the national checkbook. So Daniel chapter six, beginning in verse one, says this. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps, or again, remember the kingdom protectors, Uh, They were made accountable to them 
so that the king might not suffer loss. So again, their job is to protect, to guard, and to to manage the kingdom. Verse three. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to put him in charge over the whole kingdom. And I just love that. It's just amazing. Here this guy is, you know, he's 80 years old. He's toward the end of his life. And yet, you know, one of the marks of his life, the the characteristic of his life is he's such a man of integrity and character that all throughout his life, he remains faithful and he stands out no matter what he's doing. And he he always seems to, to rise to the top. In fact, it reminds me so much of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph in Genesis where no matter if he's a hated son or brother or he's a slave or he's in prison, he always seems to rise to the top. He's always faithful and uh, you see him standing out, serving with excellence. And so that's true of Daniel. And so the king notices this. And he's like, hey, Daniel is, is so further, you know, far above everybody else in my kingdom. I want to put him in charge. In fact, much like, like Joseph, he becomes second only to the king. I mean, and, and on the surface, that sounds awesome, right? I mean, he, he gets like a job promotion. Everything's going great. You know, he can still be this great witness and serve God. But the reality is what looks like a promotion from the outside actually brings with it a whole lot of trouble from the inside. Those other two administrators, they get jealous and they go all hunger games on Daniel, okay? I mean, they, they basically say, we are going to take this guy out. We're gonna bring him down, we're gonna falsely accuse him and we're gonna get him out of the picture so that we can have his role. So, in that kind of jealous spirit, they go after him. And what we're gonna see is that Daniel courageously remains faithful. And and he's got this, this supernatural strength that can only come from a long term faith relationship with the living God. And so, from Daniel chapter six, what I wanna do today is I wanna, I wanna give you some principles, three truths that can help you stand strong when you face opposition, maybe even from the inside, okay? So if you're taking notes, uh, the first of these truths, of these principles is, is this, and this is not fun, by the way, this one, but it is definitely true. Number one, when God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. When God raises you up, when God promotes you, when God is doing something in your life, expect other people, sometimes people even from within, to tear you down. Now, I don't know how this might come true in your life, but let's say that uh, you happen to receive some sort of recognition or promotion or pay raise or something. Now, a lot of times, right, the people that you think are gonna celebrate with you. The people that you think are gonna be, you know, the most excited for you and and encouraging and pat you on the back and, and, you know, the very people that you're first wanting to share this good news with sometimes are the very people who are what? Jealous, critical. You know, maybe some of you, um, 
Again, I don't know how this is gonna, gonna play out, but maybe you've gotten very excited about your newfound faith in Christ. And other people make fun of you. And there might even be some other people who call themselves Christians and they're like, well, you know, one, a day, one of these days you're gonna, you're gonna settle down and be a miserable Christian like the rest of us, you know? Or maybe God has spoken to you very clearly about something, about some issue. It could be some controversial issue or whatnot. Or maybe it's just that, you know, it's about your, your finances or your lifestyle. And for you, God has said, you know what? Our family needs to downsize a little bit. We're gonna get out of debt. And we're just gonna hunker down and get out of debt. And, you know, or maybe you choose to be a stay-at-home parent. And you choose to make that sacrifice where you could make more money, but you've decided that for a season, you know, you're gonna invest in your kids. And, and maybe you thought people would be supportive of that. And yet... They're not. And the very people that you thought would be encouraging and helpful um, are tearing you down. I don't know what the situation might be, but sometimes we call this the, uh, the crab syndrome. You know, I don't know if you ever, put a, uh, ever had a bucket of crabs, put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, and there's one little brave crab, right? You know, he's going to climb his way out of the bucket. And as soon as he decides to escape, the rest of the crabs do what? They reach up and they pull him down. They bring him down. And, um, you know, basically they're saying, hey, if, 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 if I can't be free, you can't be free either. We're all stuck in this, in this boat. And so when God raises you up, you better expect that there are going to be people there who are going to tear you down. And you see this played out exactly like this in, uh, in Daniel. Uh, beginning in verse 4, it says, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. In other words, hey, if we can find some dirt in his political closet, uh, we can run some ads, you know, we can go after him, and uh, people, he'll lose support, and he won't, you know, he won't get elected, and the king will want, want nothing to do with him. And then it says this, but they were unable to do so. Now, this is amazing to me. It says, they could find no corruption in him. Why? Because he was what? Trustworthy. Neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, in verse five, it says, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So, they try to dig up some dirt on Daniel. But Daniel has so faithfully served God, they can't find anything to use against him unless they figure out it actually has something to do with his relationship with God. So they devise a plot to attack him. Now, here's one of the problems in modern day cultural Christianity. Some people today mistakenly believe, well, hey, you know, if I'm serving God, then I shouldn't face any opposition. You know, if I'm trying to do the right thing, if I'm trying to live for him, I shouldn't have people come against me. And the truth is, that is just not true. Because we are in a battle 
Now, not against flesh and blood. The Bible says against the powers and the principalities of this dark world. And whenever we are moving the kingdom forward, whenever we are advancing the kingdom and doing the works and the, and the words of Jesus and living that out, you can always, always expect resistance from the prince of darkness. Now, sometimes he chooses to use well-meaning people. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. If you are not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Let me say that again. If you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. You know, that's one of the reasons, quite frankly, why I don't worry a lot whenever I face opposition. I worry I worry when there's no opposition. Because that means we're not doing anything around here. That means we're not advancing the kingdom. You know, that's why I don't get frustrated with the, uh, you know, the city of Charleston, all the delays for our building and you know, all the things that have taken time. Because they are the devil. They are the prince of darkness. But anyway, no, they're not. It's, uh, you know why that happens, honestly? Because we're advancing the kingdom here. We're doing kingdom things for God, for his glory. And so therefore, we're gonna come up against opposition. We shouldn't be surprised. You know, we should be, we should worry when there's no opposition. So here's Daniel, and he's a man of faith. He has been walking the walk and talking the talk for decades of his life. He is a leader. And sure enough, there's opposition against him. Listen, if you're gonna be a leader, if you're going to move forward, if you're going to live for Christ, you're going to face some opposition. Maybe some of you are experiencing that right now. And you know, the other two administrators, they're like, man, we've got to stop him. And so what do they do? Well, if you read the story, basically, they butter up the king. They approach the king, King Darius, and they say, hey, king, how about this? How about you issue a law, a decree, that says over the next month, for 30 days, nobody can pray to any other God except for you. And if they pray to any other God, they're going to be thrown into a lion's den. Now, King Darius is just like many other kings of that day, vulnerable to pride and like to deify himself. Now, he didn't actually believe he was a God, but they like to be treated as if they were gods. And so King Darius said, man, that is a cool idea. That's great. I mean, if anybody prays to any other God for the next 30 days, they're gonna be thrown into a lion's den. And it was almost like, so let it be written, so let it be done, you know? And it becomes law. And uh, so this creates a little bit of problem for Daniel because the administrators knew that Daniel was a great man of prayer. So it brought up a question this week in my, in my thoughts, and I want to ask it today. I wonder, if someone made a law like that today, I wonder how many people would worry about you or me. Because you're known as a person of prayer. I mean, like, oh my goodness, you know, wow, if they made a law that you couldn't read the word, boy, I'd worry about so-and-so because they're a person of the word. Man, I'd really worry about you 
this person because they're a faithful prayer warrior? I wonder. Well, they knew this would create a problem for Daniel because he's so faithful in his prayer life. Now, Daniel had some options, obviously. You know, option number one would be just to stop praying. I mean, come on, he's 80 years old. He served his time. You know, he's been faithful. It would have been real easy for him to say, God, come on, we've been doing this thing for like 80 years. I could take a month off. You can take a month off from me. You know you would like that. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be around. It's better to have me here than dead. So we'll get, to, we'll get back together in about a month. Second option, quite honestly, maybe what many of us would have done, fake it, right? Pray silently. I mean, don't, you know, don't, don't, you know, just go into hiding. You know, just close the windows, shut the door. Don't pray out loud. Just pray silently. Or the third thing that he could have done is kept praying the way he had always done and risked his very life. And that was what he's willing to do because his faith in God was, was just so strong. Now, my question is, what in the world built that kind of faith? I mean, how in the world did this guy have such this audacious, bold, deep faith in God, and he was willing, you know, that he was willing to stand strong and remain brave and, and face possible death? Well, that leads us to thought number two, principle number two, that I hope encourages you to stand strong. It's this, kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. Kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. Man, verse 10 here is so powerful. It says this, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, what did he do? It says, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, what did he do? Three times a day he got down on his knees and did what? And he prayed giving thanks to his God. And then this is so awesome. Just as what he had done before. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed. The Bible says it was just as he had done before. Listen to me. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever trial, when you go through you know, some sort of persecution, when you face some sort of opposition, your response, our response, the very first response, our go-to thing as followers of Jesus should never be to panic, to gripe, to complain. It should always be to pray. But again, man, even our language gives away just how little we value this privilege of prayer. I mean, think about it. We'll do everything we can. I mean, we'll try to control the situation. We'll try to manipulate the situation. We'll try to do everything within our power. We'll gripe, we'll complain, we'll panic. We'll post something about it on Facebook, whatever it is. And then finally, at the very end, we'll go, well, all we can do now is pray. You know, now all we have left is prayer. I've done everything I know to do. No, our go-to should be, wow, we get to pray about something. We get to go before the throne room of God. We have access to the very 
creator and sustainer of the universe. We have an audience of one with the God who cares about the intimate needs of my life. We can petition the God of the universe. He hears the cries of those who humble themselves before him. We can pray. We can talk to God. He hears us. He delights to move on our behalf. We can pray. Not, well, all we can do now is pray. And notice, again, it wasn't about drawing attention to himself. Daniel didn't announce his prayers to make a public show. It says he just did what he had always done. You know, Jesus hated people who used prayer as a way to bring, to lift themselves up, as a way to bring recognition to themselves, as a way to sound spiritual and holy, like, attention now, I'm about to pray. I'm going to go into a voice I never use any other time, except for now when I want to make myself look so good and you so low, because I am so much deeper and more spiritual than you are, you piece of dirt. So, and then, and then they do that, right? Then they go into some weird prayer language that they've never used, never talked like that any other time. That's not Daniel. He didn't announce it. He didn't like publicly say, hey, guess what? I'm not going to eat the food by the king, remember? No, he just privately went and said, hey, is there another option here? Can we try something else? He didn't open up the window and say, I'm not going to listen to King Darius. I'm going to seek the God of heaven. It just says he did what he'd always done before. Now, I'm convinced that so much of the success of Daniel's life, and one of the reasons why he was so faithful, was based on the decisions he made ahead of time. Remember from week number one, we talked about the pre-decisions of his life. He pre-decided He had decided in advance he wasn't going to defile himself. Somewhere in his life, probably decades before this moment, he decided to be a man of prayer. Three times a day. He decided, you know what? Before this threat ever arises, I'm a child of God. And so therefore I'm going to seek him. Not just once a day, but all throughout my day. In fact, I'm going to start my day with God. I'm going to check in with him in in the middle of the day. And then I'm going to wrap up my day with God because he's been that good to me. I need to him. I need to hear his voice. I need to be walking in his spirit. I need his ongoing strength. I, I, I want to have that intimacy of that continual conversation with God. Therefore, I pray to him. Now, I don't know about you. But if you haven't predecided your plan to get to know God, chances are you don't know him. I mean, in other words, if you just leave it up for chance, if you don't have a predetermined plan, if you fail to plan, you what? What's the old saying? You plan to fail. If you don't have a plan of how you're going to grow in intimacy and in in your relationship with God, man, I can almost guarantee you, you're not growing in intimacy with God. Now notice this also, how he prayed. 
Man, I love this. It says, he knelt before God in prayer. How, how did he have the strength to stand up to these men, to stand up to this opposition? He could stand before men because he had knelt before his God. He was courageously able to stand before men because he had humbly knelt in the presence of God. Now, I don't know how it's going to happen or when. But at some point, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are going to have to take a stand. And that is more real today than ever before. You're going to have to take some sort of courageous stand. Now, it might not be against some big world issue. But that's coming. It could be you take a stand in your neighborhood. You know, it could be that, I don't know, something like... Uh, your kids don't play in that particular soccer league or baseball league or basketball league because there are too many games away from church. And that's a priority for your family. It could be that you break up with your boyfriend because he's pushing you to do things that are displeasing to God. It could be that you don't do that certain uh, business deal because you know in your heart it lacks integrity and you're gonna trust God. And maybe in your mind when all that's going on, you're thinking, man, well, what if, you know, what if my kid doesn't, you know, go on to play college soccer one day because he wasn't in this better league? Or what happens if I don't get a new boyfriend and I die alone with 17 cats, you know? Or um, what, what happens if I get overlooked for that promotion? What happens if I end up losing my job because I wouldn't do that deal? Now, I wish, I wish I could stand up here today and tell you, well, you know what? It's just always gonna work out just the way you want it. I can't tell you that. I mean, Daniel could have asked, hey, what if the lions eat me and God doesn't rescue me here and now? Fair question. I mean, there, there are actually plenty of examples of people in the Bible who have the same amount of faith that Daniel had, and for whatever reason, at some point, it didn't work out the way they maybe thought it was going to, or God didn't rescue them in some predetermined plan. You see, this is not a Disney movie we're talking about. This is, this is real life with a sovereign God whose ways are higher than your ways and whose understanding is higher than ours. And sometimes he's gonna do things that don't make sense to us. So I can't promise you that if you take a stand that you're not gonna face consequences, that people are not gonna rise up against you, that you're not, people aren't gonna resist you, that you're not gonna be left out, overlooked, or end up hurting or maybe feeling worse. The only thing I can promise you is this, number three. When you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. When you do what's right, no matter what they are, you can always trust God with the results. I think this is the difficult part for us to understand because Daniel did not know the end of the story when he was in the middle of the story. He didn't know he's gonna end up being a Sunday school lesson for centuries to come. He had no idea of that. 
He had no idea it would end this way. All he knew was that for 80 plus years, God had been faithful to him. So no matter what, he was going to be faithful to God, period. No negotiation. God's been faithful to me. I will be faithful to him. He saved me. I'll trust him. If he doesn't save me, I'm still going to trust him. So, King Darius is devastated. Why? Well, he liked Daniel. He actually liked, lots of people liked Daniel. In fact, everybody looked at Daniel with favor, except those people who were jealous of him. So the king is ticked off that he got tricked. Uh, Two of his top three right-hand men have deceived him. So he feels very, very betrayed. And, And he tries to kind of get out of it, but honestly he can't because what? He had given his decree, his word. So he goes to his palace. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and he actually prays for Daniel, you know, who's put in in the lion's den. Now, we actually don't really know what happened in there. All we kind of know is what we learned after the fact. I mean, we don't know. I mean, obviously, yes, Daniel is a man of prayer and worship, so we don't know if he got down there and just started singing and praying. Uh, We don't know if he was afraid. I mean, after all, he is only human. These are real lions, Right? I mean, I, I probably would have been in a fetal position in the corner wetting myself, okay? And then thinking about, well, you know, deer urine, can I try, you know, they won't come, I mean, whatever. I would have been thinking of all kind of, you know, things. I mean, maybe he was barking like a dog trying to scare them. We, we have no idea, none, none whatsoever, except by the power of God, God shuts the mouths of the lion. And then in the morning, the first thing King Darius does, man, he hightails it over there and he says, Daniel, Daniel, are you okay? Has your God, and I love this phrase, what does it say about him? Whom you what? Continually serve. Man, isn't isn't that the way to be known in the community? Wouldn't you, I mean, should not we be known that way? When people think of followers of Jesus, they ought to think, you know, hey, so-and-so, you know, the God whom you what? Continually serve. I love that. Has he rescued you from the pit of the lions? And then verse 22 says, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. Why? Because he had what? What's it say? Trusted in his God. Now there were two guys who had not trusted in God and who didn't do what is right. And so the king calls them in and basically says, Guess who's going in the lion's den? It's kind of a brutal story, actually, if you read the whole thing. And then the king issued a decree that everyone in the kingdom should fear the God of Daniel. Daniel was brave enough to stand up for God. And God stood up for Daniel. So, if you're here today and you are facing some sort of 
of opposition. And I have no doubt that there are people in this room who are. Remember a few things. When God raises you up, there will be people who will try to tear you down. It just goes with it. It's part of the territory. It's part of, part of being a leader. You, you just gotta, you gotta deal with it. I mean, stop whining and suck it up. If you're gonna take a stand, if you're to do anything that's worthwhile, if you're going to be advancing the kingdom, there will be opposition. And don't worry if you're facing opposition for your obedience to God. Worry if you're not facing any opposition. And when God raises you up, there will be people there to try to tear you down. But kneeling to pray gives you the strength to stand. Did you hear that? Kneeling to pray gives you the strength to stand. And if you've not predetermined, if you've not figured out a plan of how to grow in your intimate relationship with God, chances are pretty good you're not growing. Some of you today, I hope you're under massive conviction that you need to set aside some time this week to seek the God of heaven. To make an intimate search for him one of the top priorities of your life. Because the Bible says, if you'll seek him, you will find him. And when you do what's right and you take a stand for God, you can always trust God with the results. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.